I know we got a couple of vets out there, and I want to just thank you all for serving uh, this great country of ours. Our country is a great country, amen? Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I'm in the book of James, James chapter 5, and I'm beginning a new series today called The Patience of a Saint. And I'm just telling you, the Lord has given me a burden uh, for this uh, next series of messages I'm going to bring forth. Uh, you need patience in your life. And I've discovered that patience is one of the key characteristics for life at the end of the age for believers in the last days. It's like a reoccurring theme. And I, I just want to highlight that because I really do feel that's something that God is working in my life. I believe he's working in your life as well. Uh, I want to read James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to pray. Here's what the scripture says. He said, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient and establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for the scriptures that provide context, clarity, purpose and meaning. And I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and insight and revelation. Help me teach the word of the Lord clearly today and help put in us a sense uh, of where we are and how we can walk out our lives moving forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. amen. Now, you know, being 41 gives me an advantage in that I can remember life before cell phones. Does anyone remember what life was like before you were so hopelessly addicted to your phone? You know, and I remember that my mom was always late picking us up from school. We were the last people leaving church. We had to wait out in the car for that woman. And uh, she came home late from shopping trips. And that was before we had cell phones. So we just had to wait. And, you know, we got actually pretty good at waiting. I mean, we, we knew she's going to show up at some point. I was reading uh, a Christian Post news article this last week which grabbed my attention. They were asking professional you know, prophecy preachers why the Lord hadn't shown up yet. You know, I, I got a kick out of that. He'll show up when he's ready. It's kind of my take on that. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're, we're going to have to just be like us little kids waiting for my mom to show up. We're, we're in a season of waiting for the Lord's return. And in that time, God is working patience in your heart. That's what I want to highlight in this series. Now let's look at here at verse 7. He said, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. I, think about that. It's what this verse says, the coming of the Lord. I'm telling you, the Lord is coming. And I can say it and smile about it. The book of Acts says this same Jesus uh, who left will in like manner come. He, he's coming back. The same Jesus who left, the Bible says, is coming back. And we're living in a prophetic, Jesus is coming back. We live in a really remarkable moment in history. And we can say Jesus is coming back because all of the signs are pointing to this. There's never been a time in history when you can see the convergence of things unfolding on the scene like they are right now. You know, Israel is the preeminent sign of his return. The fact that it's been restored as a nation. And, you know, I've been to Israel. I've seen it. It's really incredible to think that from nothing, an entire people group who lost their language are now back and populating the land. I mean, that is a tremendous sign. Jesus, in Matthew 24, gave us a number of signs about earthquakes and wars and difficulties. And those things are all happening with you know, a greater intensification in the world. Uh, he also said that men's hearts you know, would grow cold towards one another. 
That's what Paul said would happen in 2 Timothy chapter 3. People will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, disobedient to parents. Come on, somebody with teenagers. Yeah, scriptures indicate certain things like this would take place in the world. And the book of Daniel, I taught this one before, it says that in the last days, there's going to be an exponential increase in knowledge and in technology. And boy, you're seeing that take place right now in the world like never before. I'm going to highlight some of this next week because the problems facing the nations of the world are really just incredible. And a lot of them are related around technology and what they bring for. So it says right here in this verse that the Lord is coming. And I'm telling you, we got people in churches today who are afraid to preach about end time stuff. They either don't want to preach about it because they don't know it, and we've got plenty of biblically illiterate pastors, particularly the younger you get, or they're afraid of controversy. They don't want to be seen as saying something that might rattle people. And, and so a lot of times people don't touch the subject, but this is not straight out of Compton. This is straight out of the scriptures. I mean, it says here that the Lord is coming, and he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. It's such an interesting phrase, the early and the latter rain. I was looking up, um, you know, James, and he's going to mention and refer back to the Old Testament a number of times. Um, he's going to highlight these things. So the, the early and the latter rain is an Old Testament phrase about the harvest cycles in Israel. Now, when you think about the early rain, you're thinking about spring rain. But in Israel, everything is reversed. The early rain in Israel is actually in the fall. And that is because their calendar starts a brand new year in October. New Year's in Israel takes place in October. So the early rain is the fall rain, the lighter rain. And the heavier rain is in the spring. It's in March. It's in April. That's when the most intense rain takes place. It's just the backwards of what you'd think. Now, I said I've been to Israel. Man, we were there in 2013, and it was 117 degrees atop of Masada. And my poor wife, man, she had like heart palpitations. She was sweating. I mean, it was, it was so hot. So the next time I went in 2017, I went with Pastor David. We went in spring, early spring. And I just thought if it's 117 in the last trip, I don't need to really bring a jacket. <laughs> I mean, it should be just fine. And, you know, it was cold. It was rainy. We went up in the Golan Heights. We were overlooking into Syria and the military outlooks and Outposts, and it was just like, man, it was cold. I was shivering the whole time. I, and that's when the spring rains really hit in Israel, is in that time. And what this verse is just telling us is that God is a patient farmer. And what he's doing is waiting for a ripe moment, a perfect moment for the harvest time to truly take place. And we're in this hour right now. It seems like the conditions in the world are getting very ripe. They're ready for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain. I was reading a commentary. Uh, Fawcett, Jameson, and Brown. Uh, probably not Pentecostals. And they were commenting in there that this could be an indication in the same way that there was a Pentecost early in the church age in an early rain, there'll be a Pentecost, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days in which we live. And I think when you look at the prophetic signs and where we are in the world, I'm telling you, we are very close to Jesus' return. And right on the horizon is a great outpouring of God's Spirit, a harvest of souls here at the end of the age. And man, that gets me excited about it because I think, man, it's going to be real. It's not going to be forced. It's not going to be something that's hokey. I mean, the power of God is going to be on full display in these days in which we live. 
It excites me. So Jesus is coming, and I just want to highlight a couple things you need to know about it. I like to just walk through the scriptures here. Jesus is coming back. We just read that. Here's what you got to know and keep in mind. Verse number eight. I like this. He says, the Lord is coming. You got to be patient. Establish your heart. For his coming is at hand. It's close. It's quick. First thing you got to understand about his coming is you are going to have to stay patient. Man, that is the theme of my series. Patience is hard for an American culture caught up in instant gratification in the year 2021. Can I get a witness? Patience means that when you go through things you don't like doing, when, when, when there's a adver- angry, that's patience. I like the old English word long-suffering. It means you're able to go through something a long time, stuff you don't really particularly enjoy, and yet you can get through it. That's patience. And patience is one of those things that requires an expectation. It's not just like nothing's going to happen. You're waiting, and that puts your emotions in this volatile spot where there's going back and forth. You're going to have to stay patient in these days in which we live. Patience. He said, be patient until his coming, because he is coming. That means that you might have to endure human evil and even seasons of suffering and difficult trials and times. You know what the Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy 3, that evil men... And seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yeah, we're seeing that. I'll tell you where you can see it is in governments. And I, as I understand the scriptures, the story of the Bible is the story of God's people oppressed by government. Think about it in you know, Egypt with the children of Israel in slavery. Or, or the Babylonian captivity. Or the early Christians before the Sanhedrin. And you know, we're in this moment when it just seems like there's so much confusion and so much corruptness among governments of the world. And Satan knows how to orchestrate those things. And yet in the middle of difficult things and confusion in the world, it's like God knows what he's doing. He's got everything figured out. I mean, you think about the sin that exists in the world, human trafficking, slavery that's taking place at higher levels in today's modern world than they've taken place in previous years. I mean, it's really an incredible time. And so when I look at the scriptures, when I'm reading the book of James here, I I interpret it through what we call a futuristic lens. In other words, I believe the book of Revelation is on the horizon. Hadn't happened yet. And I have dear friends, friends I appreciate, who, who teach things like, this is already in the past, like it's already taken place. And I'm just looking at the landscape and history, reading my Bible, and I'm telling you that we've not yet seen some of the difficult things that are coming on the earth. So in the middle of all this unprecedented chaos and weirdness, you got to stay patient. you got to keep your cool. you got to keep your wits about you. Yeah, patience is one of those things that can only be applied when your heart is established. That's what he said here. Establish your heart. You know, he's quoting the 112th Psalm, in which the psalmist said that when your heart is established, it will not be moved by evil tidings. In other words, your heart's got to be fixed. It's got to trust the Lord. It's got to be filled with the word of God and his promises. There's got to be something on the inside of you that has this belief, this hope, this guarantee, this trust that Jesus is going to see me through. And sometimes when you go through trials and difficulties and waiting seasons, and it just seems like nothing's working out, and yet that's the place where God shows up, maybe later than you thought, but he did show up. 
That's the place where trust gets developed. That's where a heart gets established. And I'm telling you, I've got to a point now, you know, with the family and kids, I'm not rattled by things like I used to be rattled by. I've been through them. I know the Lord will bring me through it. I don't get afraid like I used to anymore. I know that Jesus has got my back. Man, when you think about patience, sometimes you get the idea that it's like lackadaisical. It's just like, well, we're just going to go through it. But there's this fine, uh, fine-tuning place in your heart where you have to keep yourself anticipating with an expectation that something is going to happen. That's what patience is. It, it doesn't just sit back in, in, in a lackadaisical form. Patience is one of those things that requires a certain level of seriousness to it because you know something's going to take place. You got to be watchful and prayerful. You know, the book of 1 Peter 4, he said that you should be watchful and serious in your prayers because the end of all things is at hand. In other words, there's an urgency to patience. Patience is like, I don't feel great about it, but I'm going to get through this because I know that the Lord is there with me. That's the motivation that led a man named J. Hudson Taylor to establish the Inland China Mission in 1860. You ever heard of J. Hudson Taylor? And he left Britain to start a missions work in China when no one else was there. And he felt like for years he had no success. It was hard. It was plowing up ground, but he stayed patient. And now you can look at what's happening in demographics across the world. I'm telling you that the Christian population in China, 150, 200 years later, is like exploding. I was just in Nepal before COVID. Nepal went from 1% Christian 100 years ago. And now it's 10% Christian. I mean, it's exploding with first-generation Christians who jump around and are excited about Jesus. And that's because one man had urgency in his heart because he took this verse about Jesus coming and, and with patience, he went out there. You got to nudge your neighbor, tell him to be patient. Stay patient. I know you don't like hearing that when you're drive through Taco Bell lines when people are slow around you and there's a labor shortage, but you got to be patient. Stay patient. Here's the second thing you got to keep in mind. Look at verse number nine. I'm going to hit home with this one. Do not grumble. Stop your complaining about people. Lest you fall into judgment. Lest, in other words, lest it comes back on you, you reap it. Because he said the judge is standing at the door. Here, I like the Bible. It's very basic. It's very practical. Jesus is coming, so stop your complaining. That's what he's saying. <laughs> very simple. Stop the complaining. The Lord is coming. Complaining is murmuring, right? And sometimes it's the passive-aggressive rolling of the eyes that you have. Or, you know, that little subtle thing where you kind of like, mm-hmm, nod your head, mm-hmm, complaining about something. Or it can be a vocal expression of your disgust, your frustrations, the pain that you might have, the resentment you have. I, I think it's interesting that uh, Paul corrected Israel first in 1 Corinthians 10. When they were in the wilderness, he, he said, nor complain as some of them did, and their corpses fell in the wilderness. I mean, complaining in the eyes of God is a problem. But you know what's funny is we don't think about it like that because it just comes so natural to people. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I mean, it's like second nature to people. I know because I have children, not very old. But in the mornings when we get them up about 6.45, they start complaining because they're cold. They don't want to go to school and get dressed. They want to stay in pajamas and watch Paw Patrol. You know, they may not want the breakfast that we made for them. Uh, they, they, on the way to school, they're like, I got to learn. And, you know, I mean, we got to work on that attitude, man. We're, we're trying to help, you know, grow up young children to be, you know, spiritual giants. You got to stop that complaining. I mean, just think about all the things you complain about. 
You complain about the weather when it's too hot or when it's too cold. You complain about it because it's too dry or because it's too wet. I mean, you, you complain about traffic in Billings where there is no traffic? You don't want to drive to the heights? I mean, you find any number of things to complain about, but you don't want to know what the biggest thing people complain about is? It's other people. That's what this verse says. He said, don't complain against each other, brethren. I mean, think about that. You're complaining against other people. You complain because they talk too much, or you complain because they don't talk enough. You complain because they're nice to you, you think, and then behind your back, you think they're talking about you. I mean, you find any number of things you can complain about with people. They're too loud. Really what you're doing is comparing yourself to them. Patience and, and, and not complaining, man. This is how you get things done in the last days. You know, the thing about complaining that I've found is that it really will kill the love that you have for one another. When you're complaining about other people, it's very hard for you to really express love. And that constant complaining, I mean, really what it is, is you're creating this air of superiority about you. Like you think that you have, you know, a better situation than someone else, and you're complaining about them and their problems. And, and I'm just telling you, when you do that, it, 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 cre- it kills your love for one another. I mean, it really, it creates problems. See, God sees secret things. He sees the hearts of people. He knows what's in people's heart. And you don't have to be the personality police. You, you can just love people at face value. That's what, he's, that's what we should do as Christians. You know what, what complaining will kill is your sense of joy. And when you have no joy, it's very hard for you to endure in difficult seasons. That's a prayer that Paul prayed in Colossians. Colossians 1.11, you have long-suffering, patience with joy. And I found when you're in a difficult thing, when you're doing something you don't like, if you have a job that you're frustrated by and complain about, come on, somebody. If you really complain about it enough, you'll work your way right out of that job because you can't handle the pressure. And that complaining, it eats away at your joy. Ultimately, what complaining does is it eats away at your patience. It kills your patience. He said, Jesus is coming, man, and it's going to be difficult hours and tough times, and, and, and so you're going to have to be patient and not complain. Man, you know, when I think about Elizabeth and I getting married, we, I met her in Canada. Most of you know the story, and we had to wait 13 months to go through immigration, and that was the easy thing to complain through, and I felt like the more that, you know, we got into that, the easier it was to complain, and you know what that did? It made it harder. It made it more challenging and more difficult, and And so at some point, we just had to stop complaining and just deal with what was there. Because complaining will kill. I'm up joy. It'll kill your peace. It'll kill your patience. It'll kill the love you have for people. Now, I'm like you, okay? It happens to me. And it's funny how it happens. It happens to me a lot of times on my day off. I I will be, you know, working on a house project, going through something, and there will be a start drip, drip, drip in my mind of negativity where I'm tempted to start complaining about things about this with the church, or about this with the children, or even my sweet, precious wife. She ain't here the way, but I love you, baby. You're at home. <laughs> but I, when I have found that I start you know, having those moments, I have to stop what I'm doing, and I have to start just praising God and thanking Him with appreciation and gratitude for how good He's been. 
I'm telling you, if you find yourself complaining, if you're in a moment where you just can't help it, you start snowballing downward, that's a perfect moment for you to stop and start thanking God for how good he's been to you. Because, you know, I hear people thinking, well, he ain't been that good to me. Oh, he's been better than you think. And people, sometimes they just lose sight of that. So you don't want to be complaining in these last days. This is how you keep your fire uh, 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 for the Lord. You patient, you stop complaining. Let me give you another one here in verse number 10. He said, my brethren, take the prophets. Again, he's referring us to the Old Testament. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Let's just think about the prophets, all right? You know, church tradition is that Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, that's his title, that he was cut in half with a saw by the wicked king Manasseh. Or we could talk about Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, thrown in prison, criticized, ridiculed. They had barely kept him alive, put into captivity. You know, Ezekiel, who was the priestly prophet, church tradition is that his prophesying made the idol-worshiping priests around him angry at him, and they killed him outside of the synagogue. Jesus mentioned Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who was murdered between the porch and the altar. Or we could talk about John the Baptist, who had his head cut off because he wasn't afraid to speak truth to the wicked king Herod. And these men, it says, are examples of us, for us, of suffering and patience. It says in verse 11 that we count them blessed who endure. In other words, their memory, their legacy has lived on. Then he mentions another Old Testament character. He said, you've heard of the perseverance of Job. Somebody say perseverance. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. You know the story of Job, what he went through, what he lost. And he said, yet he said, you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Is what you got to know about life in the last days. You must persevere. Perseverance in these last days is vital to your life. Perseverance is this you know, diligence, this consistency, a faithfulness. I'm going to stay steadfast. And when you think about how the Bible likens the race that we're running as Christians, it's not to a sprint. That's why it says you got to run your race with endurance. There's a long-term race that you're running. I mean, you, you, you got to keep on moving in life for a long time. That's perseverance. If I have learned anything in the short 41 years I have been alive, it's that you got to have perseverance if you're going to make it. You're going to have to just keep on keeping on. Because there's an old adage that says, if at first you fail, you got to try, try, try again. And when I was in Florida last year for the, the beginning of the year with Pastors University, they were telling us that when you deal with church planting people in today's world, the, the characteristic that they lack is grit, coping skills, the ability to just kind of keep grinding. I mean, that seems to be lacking the younger we get in society. And perseverance is one of these things that allows you to have success, sustained success. It's a character tribute. And that's what he's saying, that men of the Bible... Godly men, prophets, people like Job, they had perseverance. Perseverance is a Christian commandment. I got a verse I want to put on the screen. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse number 10. And the, the, this is what uh, Jesus was saying to the church at Philadelphia, a church 
that was doing the right thing and living for God. And he said, you have kept my command to persevere. Isn't that interesting? There's a command that we have as believers. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. But Jesus said that you must endure. We have to persevere. And then he said this. He said, because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which he said will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, there's never been an hour of trial that's come upon the whole world. It's happened at pockets in different places. But this verse tells us it's going to come upon the whole world. And I believe that this is pointing us forward to what we call the tribulation period, which is going to take place sometime in the future. Now, people get very confused about how are these things going to play out and specifically you know, the end times and the timing of events. For, for, for my part, I believe that the rapture of the church will precede the tribulation. But the rapture is a reward for righteous living. It's for people who have persevered and endured and gone through things and held on to him and kept the testimony and stayed faithful and stayed loyal to him. And that's what's in that word perseverance. You must persevere. Yeah. He said, just like Job persevered, your perseverance will pay off. I mean, there's a tremendous payoff Perseverance has like a residual rate of return, like compound interest. I kind of liken it to having children. When you first have children, they keep you up at night, and they're expensive, and you have to clean them and bathe them, and, and, and then they throw up on you, on your nice new clothes. But they have a long-term payoff, and the payoff is residual effect. It's a wonderful thing as you age. You get grandchildren, it's, it's compound interest. There's a payoff. And it's the same thing in your perseverance with the Lord. It will pay dividends long-term when you have walked with him. I love how James ended this verse back here in, in James verse, verse 11, James 5, 11. He said, you, you've seen the end intended by the Lord that he is very compassionate and merciful. Let me tell you something. God will preserve those who persevere. He will preserve people who persevere. And when you've walked with him, when you've held his hand, when you've gotten to know him, when you've been through difficult things, man, that's where he's got you right by the hand. You know why he does that? Because he's good. That's his nature. He delights in extending compassion. He delights in giving you mercy. He delights in giving you grace. And I'll tell you how he does it is through the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, that invisible member of the Trinity. And when I have been in my lowest moments, when I'm frustrated, when I feel like, I don't know, I want to throw the towel in. When I, when I feel like I just don't know if I can keep going, these are the places where the Holy Spirit will grab me by the hand and help me. I mean, he'll walk me through things. And, and he, he, he's so good that way. He, he's good. He's a comforter. He's a helper. He, he's a counselor. He's an advocate. I can go to him when I need him, and he's right there to bring me through something. I am thankful for the Holy Spirit who helps me endure in difficult moments. That's where perseverance comes from. Are you grateful for the Holy Spirit? Amen. Man, I, he's good. I'm reminded of what Winston Churchill said, in the shortest commencement speech he ever gave to a university in which he got up and said, we must never give in. You know who Winston Churchill was? The British guy fighting the Nazis. He said, never, 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 never give in. Never, 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 never give in. Never, never, never give in. That was his commencement speech. That's how we got to live our lives, man. You never, never, never give in to the world. you got to stay consistent and serving the Lord. That is what is required in these last days. Stay after it.
That's what Scripture says. It does amaze me. I'll tell you this. It does amaze me. Because I, I have been you know, living for the Lord all these years. And I watch in, in church cycles all my life where people will be on fire for the Lord for a season. And then they're not there like later. Where'd they go? What happened? I mean, it, it's truly interesting to me. And that's why the Scripture says you have to persevere. You, that there's something about keeping the faith. In fact, if you really want to know who is really saved, it's the people who persevere. That's how you can tell someone who really does know the Lord because they have stuck with it. They're there. They're going through it. Let me give you number four here. I'm in verse 12. He said, above all, if, if it wasn't enough for you to be patient and stop your complaint, he said, above all, do not swear. This one might hit home with somebody. Don't be swearing either by heaven or by earth or, or with your oaths. He said simply let your less yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Here's a thought for you about life in the last days. You got to watch your words. Watch the things that you're saying. Now, uh, context in the Bible, it provides clarity. So we're talking here about the Lord's coming and about the pressure of the end times, what life is like. And you know, when something gets squeezed like a lemon, it just naturally comes out sour. And that's what a heart can be like. When it's squeezed with pressure, things are going to come out of it. What comes out of your heart is your words. When, when adversity is there, you can always hear how people respond because it will come out of their mouth. Out of the abundance of the mouth, Jesus said, the heart speaks. And you can locate where people are at just by the stuff they're saying. And I think what you know, the psalmist said it is so profound. In Psalm 141, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch my words. Yeah. See, your words are more powerful than you're giving them credit for. Death and life, the scriptures say, is in the power of the tongue. And if you love it, you'll eat well by it. Death and life. That means that your words have that unique and powerful ability to build up or tear down. And I see this take place the most when it comes to relationships. Words can be the most powerful, wonderful things, or they can tear down and destroy. I mean, just think about that. Fights, arguments, they all start with words that get expressed in negative ways. But you can also build a person up. If you know how to communicate, you can get through problems. You can problem solve. It's through words. Those words are very powerful things. You know, your words ultimately are going to be the thing that brings judgment into your life. That's a crazy thought, but that's what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 12 that for every idle word, every negative word, every word that doesn't bear any fruit that you say, every idle word, you'll come into judgment. He said, by your words, this is Romans 3, by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. I mean, that, that's a tremendous thought, your words. Now, I don't swear, but when I do watch the news, I'm very tempted. I don't like being lied to. And it's like, man, people are professional liars. They're paid to say things and spin them and make them sound good. So you might be tempted to believe that. And if you're a simple person, it's easy to get sucked into that. And so I, I'm like, I have to be real careful on that one. And my wife, she'll nudge me a lot. Don't say that. I'm like, and you know, you can always tell if your heart is soft because you've said something and then you go, I shouldn't have said that. And I've said that. And I can tell if I'm even drifting spiritually because I might have said something and have no conviction over it. That's how, you, that's how you can tell. If you said it and you feel bad about it, your heart is still soft and tender. And these are things I have to watch myself with. You've got to watch your words. I mean, just think about 
how your words will either honor God or dishonor God. I mean, I got another verse for you here in James, James 3 and verse 9 and 10. He's going to tell us that with your words, you can either bless God and with the same words, you curse men who've been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. And he said, out of the same mouth, proceed blessing and cursing. And he said, these things ought not be. Think about that. When you are using your words in a negative way against people, instead of expressing love and being patient and you're complaining about them, that is when you can come into judgment or you reap the things that you sow. Because this is what I found out about fights and arguments with people. If I've gotten into a fight, I might get a bigger fight back my way. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I've had that happen, even with sweet little Elizabeth. She might even say something nasty to me. Me? Yeah. <laughs> Who had it coming? <laughs> yeah. Man, the, the words that you speak are such powerful, powerful things. What this verse tells me is that if you want to succeed in the last days, you're going to have to keep your words. You've got to keep your word. Be a person of integrity. You know what integrity is? It's how you handle pressure. And I'm telling you, there's a pressure in these days that we live in. And when we said, let your yes be yes and your no, no, he's just saying, stick with your word. You know what's interesting to me? Is I still remember things that my dad promised me as a kid that he never followed through on. And I don't know why. They'll just come to my mind like, oh, he said that. He didn't do it. Probably you can think about a promise somebody made to you. It's kind of etched there. Now, I got to say, my mom, on the other hand, she kept her word. She was late showing up, but we knew she was coming. And that's the way it feels like with the Lord. Man, we're living in a moment right now where it just feels like life is just kind of going on like normal. There's chaos. There's problems in the world. But I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. That's what these verses are telling us. And you got to live your heart like it's right, man. Maybe that means you got to be patient. How many of you could use more patience in your life? The entire room. Everybody in the room, we all could use more patience. Someone said, be careful what you pray for when you pray for patience. I'll tell you what. The most spiritual people I know, the people who know God the most, are some of the most patient people I know. It's not the people who prophesy. And have amazing gifts that take place. It's patient people. People who can walk with God and, and maintain their integrity under pressure. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people like that to walk with. That's patience. Yeah. Maybe this morning you grumble too much. You complain about things. You know, that could be one for me. My wife has told me on more than one occasion that she feels frustrated sometimes because it feels like there's no joy in the home. I'll be working on projects and it's just like I feel like I've got a million things to do between marriage and church and kids and all these things and I just and, and, and she's like man where's the joy stop the complaining and so that, that one hits with me man I, I gotta be watchful on that maybe sometimes though you feel like quitting too quickly and it, it, I've watched people over the years who quit when, when they don't need to quit they don't think they're succeeding They'll feel like they're not getting ahead. And I'm telling you, sometimes if you just press ahead, keep going, keep moving, keep that baby step, you will get to your destination where God has for you. Or maybe you're swearing too much. 
<laughs> you feel convicted because you're dropping words you shouldn't be dropping and conversations and arguments with people. And I'm telling you, it does not honor God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Your words are powerful and you want to make sure that they honor the Lord. I just want to take a moment and pray that over you. I want to pray the grace and the peace of God upon his people. Father, I just thank you for this great group of people growing. And Lord, I pray that you help us. Give us grace. Give us patience. Give us wisdom and understanding in these days how we can live our lives. In light of what's taking place in the world today, I thank you, Father, for a spirit of patience. I thank you for people who are not going to get moved or rattled or shaken, but that we're going to be secure and set and our hearts will be established in the word of God, in the love of God, in the patience and the peace of God. Father, I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We just thank you. You say this with me. Say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, you know, we, we grew up, like, way out in the country, way out there, uh, out towards Malt. And uh, so mom, you know, she just kind of would leave us home. I was probably 9, 10, watching my sisters. And, and she would just take forever. And so, you know, we would make the house a mess. I mean, jumping on couches. Now I look at my kids, and I'm like, well, I did that same thing. I mean, flying around the place. It's a mess. But if we'd watch the window, because about a mile and a half down the road, you could see mom coming. I mean, you could see the dust in, from that, you know, Buick station wagon. And uh, that's when you knew you had to get some stuff cleaned up. This place was a mess. It was a sign. It was evidence. And I'm telling you, when you look at the world, you can just see that the signs are lining up. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's a dust, there's a glory cloud falling. <laughs> Jesus is coming. And you want to make sure that you are right with the Lord. You want to make sure your heart's in the right place. Because you don't want to get uh, taken by surprise. And I don't know, maybe someone in the room here, maybe your heart's not right. Maybe it's just you've been drifting spiritually and you're not in the right place. I just want to give you an opportunity to accept the Lord. Get right with him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It, 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 you might look out and see the signs are there. But you see, I'm not ready. This house is a mess. My life is a mess. And I've got to get right with him. And if that's you, I'd just like you to put a hand up and I want to pray with you. Pray for things to get right. Pray for things to get in order. I see that hand back there. I see that. I see that hand. Yeah. Let's pray. Just pray with me. Say, Father, I want to give you my heart. All of it. Thank you for saving me. I thank you for forgiving my sin. And I want to just pray that this mess that I made, Lord, that you would just fix it. Step in. Heal my heart, come into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're sincere about it, and God, God will start working your heart if you let him. It just requires your patience, it requires your diligence to walk with God. Amen. Amen. You can stand up with me this morning. I did want to pray for, for, for uh, one thing here. And as we're dismissed, I want to remind you there's a class right afterwards here, man. We're having the Next Steps class. If you've never been to that, we'd love to have you. Just learn who we are as a church, and it'd be great to have your presence there. Um, maybe you feel like you have been waiting, and it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. There's no answers, and you're frustrated by that. And if you need prayer because you've been in a season waiting, I just want to invite you to the altars. I don't know who that would be for. But if, if, if you're just in a moment where it just feels like, man, I can't get there, I want to, we want to pray with you. And because I, I've been in seasons like that myself, we want to encourage one another. This is an encouragement moment. So if you need prayer for that, we're here for you. Uh, I'm glad you came out to church today. I want you to know we love you, we value you, we bless you, and we will catch you all next Sunday. I'm loaded for bear next Sunday, man. I, I really feel passionate about what we're preaching right now. So we love you very much. 
If you want prayer, come on down.